2: shelves are sort of a museum of my life. I like to keep things from my travels that are to me anyway, the very essence of the experiences I've had sort of portals if you will, to a specific time and place and the inspiration for stories and memories and musings Here is a tin of gay beer, a can of beer and it's called gay beer and it's brewed in Brooklyn it seriously is called gay beer and we stock it at Club Coming, FYI. Here's a copy of Bonaventure, which is one of the first plays I ever did at high school. And my friend Susie recently found it and gave me a copy of it. And today I'm talking to the lovely Jane Krakowski.
1: I played a teenage runaway oh, who. Good. Uh, ended up finding her very rich parents and then joined the circus before the town was (laughs) taken out by a flood.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Jane Krakowski is an amazing actress and singer. She works in television, film and theatre, but she's probably best known for her television roles in Ally McBeal, 30 Rock and the unbeatable Kimmy Schmidt we first worked together in the Flintstones in Viva Rock Vegas in 1999 (laughs) and we had an absolute blast And the items on my shelves that I'm talking about today Is a set of cutlery But not just any old cutlery It's Stone Age cutlery (laughs) They're sort of green, clunky uh, knife and fork and spoon Green with sort of sparkly bits all over it And um, I suppose to look like sparkly stone or quartz or something And these were props in the film The Flintstones in Viva Rock Vegas And um, I, well, I stole them So, Jane, I can't actually remember what which scene it was that I procured that cutlery, that funny, sort of glittery, pretending-to-be-rock cutlery. Do you? Can you remember if there was a scene when we were having a, a meal or something?
1: Uh, well, I was thinking that, too, when I saw the cutlery. Um, I wasn't sure where you might have taken it <laughs> because... I kind of think it might have been when we were trying to escape you as Mick Jagged and me as Betty O'Shell We're trying to escape the Las Vegas casino. Yes, we're actually talking about our real careers. Uh, <laughs> because were was, was there was- drinks and food served in... In the in that casino, Maybe. I'm not that sure. that might, yes, that
2: might have been it. That might have been it. Yeah, but uh, th- it, that was just the most hilarious thing. Because so you were Betty uh, Rubble, knee <laughs> yeah. or oh or no, or o- yes, and you were yeah. with uh you were with Barney, played by Stephen Baldwin, who I yeah. saw recently in a dumpling shop. Uh, but that's another story. And uh, and then and and but then at one point, I I played Mick Jagged. Who was a, a stone age rocker, and I had a sort of a, t- a, a, a Union Jack kind of as a homage to Ginger Spice, a, a, a Union Jack sort of Ugh. animal fur kind of outfit on, and I had big big prosthetic lips and everything to make me look like Mick Jagger, and I sort I talked like this, and I felt, I can't remember how did I see how did we meet in this in the film? Do you remember?
1: That was the casting coup of the film for me, <laughs> having you. D- play double roles
2: um
1: yes. because you were initially cast as the great kazoo correct yes
2: and do you know how it happened how I, I got my double whammy no please
1: tell me because I think well, that's one of the best parts in all of the Flintstones
2: it's so nuts I was so we I got they said to me would I like to play the great kazoo in the I was like what's that and I and then it's, it's a green alien and you fly around I was like oh my god that sounds <laughs> such fun and I was just like, you know, just finishing Cabaret on Broadway. And I, the last film I'd done was like Titus. You know, I said, I want to do something fun. And it was just great. And um, so I was good doing that. And I went uh, on, a, on a Monday, uh, I flew to, you know, in a Broadway day off. I flew to uh, L.A. for the read-through. And at the read-through, uh, they said to me, like sometimes at read-throughs, you know, there's, a, there's not enough people. Maybe some of the smaller parts aren't cast yet or, other people can't be there and so they ask you to read another part on top of the one you're doing so they asked me if I would read Mick Jagged so I read Mick Jagged nailed it and then the (laughs) next day they said you know what you could actually play both parts because they're never they are in some scenes together but of course Gazoo was all done later on like wires in a funny different studio so that was how I how it all came about it was so crazy if I hadn't done that I would have only been I would have only done my bits afterwards and would never like I never as kazoo never worked with any other actors I worked with paper plates that said Barney and Fred on them (laughs) literally
1: (laughs) well I mean it was the greatest gift to me too because then that's how I actually got to work with you in the movie so I was so excited that you said yes to do both parts Um, and we had a great laugh making that
2: I really did. the
1: plot. I'm not sure how we how the two characters met because we fall in love instantly, and then you become the foil. Why Barney should stay with me and love me? Because let's yes. not forget it was a prequel.
2: A prequel. That's right. <laughs> the prequel not <laughs> the sequel ladies and gentlemen when, yes
1: back in the days when this actress could be in a prequel <laughs>
2: those days I know, before right? god i'm learning i know i know it's true the first one was it was with like rosie o, did rosie o'donnell play you in the first yep, one yep 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 and, 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 and like elizabeth taylor played uh played uh and Joan. we had joan collins in our one
1: Exactly. She I mean, played, we have uh, Joan Collins and Harvey Corman in this movie.
2: Who had played uh, the Great Gazoo in the actual television series of the Flintstones. He was the voice of the Great oh, Gazoo.
1: My, Did you, know, you know I'm know not that? sure I knew that. Maybe I knew that then when we were filming, but I right. looked back at the cast list and I was like, I can't believe that we, Harvey Corman was there doing scenes with all of us. And then obviously the legend of... Of Jones, so it was it was a oh, very eclectic group of people to come together to make a wacky movie.
2: It really was, and then do, and do you remember there was also uh, uh, John Taylor from Duran Duran? He was in my band, my Mick Jagged band, <laughs> and he had one line he had to say something like he was about like how old are you? He had to say to like a groupie or something like that.
1: That's right.
2: Yeah. How did we nuts. get
1: these people? What was the <laughs> It's I don't know. So uh,
2: uh, well, uh, the thing was, I think the whole thing was so nuts and so fun and so sort of bonkers. And I remember, uh, you know, being dri- uh, you know another time I came on a day off and um, when I when you'd started filming, but I was I hadn't finished in Cabaret and I hadn't started filming obviously yet, and I, I was driven out to the sort of desert set where all the it was absolutely yeah. incredible. It was like a real sort of old fashioned Hollywood massive set.
1: Right, you drive and drive and drive, and then suddenly, like a mirage, almost like Vegas is when you first drive yeah. in, you see the entire uh, Viva Rock Vegas set um, yes. that we, you know, was our mainstay for most of the filming yeah. of the movie. Um, and and I I know you were in this part too. Um, we shot, didn't we? Shoot like a big musical number that was the end of huge. the film to make it feel like, like an old fashioned huge. movie. Giant yeah, like a huge,
2: so there was a, there was like you all, you know, you and Barney got together and Fred and Wilma got together, the whole thing, and then I, Mick Jagged, sang a song, but then miraculously I appeared in the, in a sort of lineup uh, with everybody and we did a huge sort of parade, one of those old fashioned sort of, the cast comes towards the camera and there's thousands of extras dancing and everyone yeah. behind it. And it was such and you know that was hilarious because that was the day ha, 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 that Joan <laughs> like we were waiting. It was hundreds of I mean thousands of people probably. And we're all waiting. And Joan was not was was not there. And we're all like, What the fuck? What's going on? I think it was a night shoot as well. So, you know, that weird thing is like four o'clock in the morning and you've got to be all right. like, ha, ha, ha plain stones. Uh-huh. And um, Finally, Joan arrived, and my, my, you know Christopher Lawrence. He was, you know, he was he was the costume supervisor. Now he's a costume designer, and this big, tall, blonde boy. We've stayed chums. And yes, he, I I
1: remember him very well. The loveliest yeah, man,
2: a darling, an absolute hoot. And so he was. He he was with Joan, and she was she was kind of you know, sort of a little sort of huffy. And there's sort of stuff going on. And there going, she's ready. She's coming. Here's your shoes. Here's your shoes, John. And like she had to stand beside me in this lineup thing. And I'm actually, I discovered very good at sort of grumpy older actresses because <laughs> I just <laughs> say to them, I just, I don't pretend it's not happening. I just go, Are you all right, John? You seem a bit grumpy. What's ha- what's wrong? <laughs> Amazing. And, you know. So you just as soon as you do that, they have to they have to say something. She goes, Oh well, you know, Ellen Never ask a woman after fifty to wear a a, a sleeveless gown, right? Because she had like a thing with her, you know. The, is that what you call it? Yes. Like just uh, There's no no sleeves and no top, bit over after you it comes up to your boobs and that's it. And uh, she said, no woman over fifty should be asked to wear a sleeveless gown. I was like, over fifty, come on, Joan, and because uh, <laughs> she was well past fifty, even then. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then you and bonded what was hilari-
1: forever
2: <laughs> yeah we did we did actually that's right we've been friends ever since and uh, what was hilarious is that afterwards Christopher told me that Joan had insisted on a sleeveless gown <laughs> which made it even more oh, hilarious oh no yeah so I said to her and I, I said to her, what? why what's the big what's the big problem with a sleeveless gown and she just she lifted up her arms and she went kimono arm syndrome <laughs> oh Like that was the worst thing. Just great. (laughs) I learned about what kimono arm syndrome was from John Collins.
1: I will now use that if I'm allowed because I'm entering my kimono arm phase.
2: Take it. Take it. It's yours. (laughs) You guys had to sort of do, I mean, I guess I did too, but I didn't really know what I was doing, but to, it's not like it's sort of that weird thing which it's, it's not an impersonation but it's, got, it's sort of got to be an impression i suppose is the right word of a real person well of a cartoon character it's quite a yeah. difficult line to tread isn't it
1: i think so and i re- i remember like using and this is sort of i guess a, a rule for me to remember sort of throughout my my working career but when i first met with them i just sort of did my instinct version of Betty um uh, it, like what I remember her as from loving the cartoon in in my childhood and everything. Yeah. And then once I got the part I actually went to dialect coach and tried to actually word for sound for sound recreate what the cartoon Betty sounded like. And after right. like months, they were like, could you go back to what you were doing before? With
2: this? <laughs> isn't it this always This isn't weird? working. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And
1: I was like, oh, okay. So it needs to come... I mean, I, in that case, even if it's a cartoon character, I think it has to come from an organic place inside of you versus... Right. You. And I really did like emulate the sound of the recording because that was kind of like a fun challenge for me initially. Yeah. But ultimately it wasn't sustainable and not what they... What they actually wanted, so it, it gave me freedom. Actually, uh, eventually, but right. um, yeah. all that those like months of of, of prepping kind of just <laughs> for, for not for it's not. So funny.
2: Yeah, but I remember you had, to, you had the, the the giggle down. That was that was that they kept that part.
1: I felt like that was essential because. Also, because uh, Rosie O'Donnell like had nailed life. like That was her thing, I thought. So oh, I was like, I at least got to get right. that right. Um, right being right. an admirer of Rosie and also sort of being the, the prequel version of her. Um, but the whole thing right. was a surreal experience. I mean, there's no way to say that it wasn't from, you know, our <laughs> premiere was catered by Burger King. <laughs> <laughs> was it wasn't? That's hilarious. Yeah. Was it really? I was like a big Hollywood premiere. I'm so excited to go, and they're like, "Okay, so the the food carts over there—it was literally all Burger King." And as we why? are speaking because right now, why? Because there was now, some
2: tie-in. Was it a tie-in with the marketing? Yes, the merchandising. Yeah.
1: The merch was merch. insane. Yeah, yeah.
2: And I remember it was in the afternoon as well. I I don't like a premiere in the afternoon because it, no, it means you don't get drinks. <laughs> in exactly. Hollywood, it was it was in yeah. the
1: afternoon and catered by Burger King. <laughs> You know, I recently, Alan, with the, with the pandemic, I, obviously we all had a little bit more time on our hands and home to, to think about what we wanted to do at that time. And I, um, I, I decided to clean out a storage unit of mine that I had not been in, in maybe 15 years. Oh God. Yeah. It was, it was everything I, for, for five years, I lived in Los Angeles and, um, I, when that show, it was a show, a TV show called Ali McBeal. When that show was over, oh, yeah. I had gotten a Broadway show. Um, that was an incredible experience for me called nine. And I needed to move back to New York very quickly to start rehearsals. So I had friends and, and people help me just pack my entire LA house that I'd been living in and renting for five years into a truck and have it just move over to New York and meet me. And I put it into a storage unit and, actually never went back. The storage unit, which I think is common. Storage unit got locked in in New York City, and I never went back to look at the stuff. Occasionally, I'd try to go find something, but it would be so packed in, you couldn't find it anyway. So a few months ago, I ended up having like a month off of time. And I said, you know what, I'm going to go in there, open the door and see what my life was sort of in a, you know, frozen from 15 years ago. Yeah, a time capsule. So I opened the door. It takes you know, three weeks to go through all of this stuff. I found sweet memories that my, like a box, a trunk that my father had saved every first clipping from when I was like nine years old at my dance Uh. recitals to, I mean, really beautiful things, an emotional, emotional journey during some of it. But ultimately I found my Flintstone stuff and Uh I had more gifts and memorabilia and trinkets and merchandise from the Flintstones <laughs> yeah. than any other job I had done, which yeah, you know, leads to it being, there was a lot. And also, obviously, a very loving cast and crew because everyone gave photo book, books and um, diary right. journals and like these beautiful memories. But I found the the Gazoo Burger King giveaway.
2: Oh, the little thing where you pull the little thing out and he flies through the air yes it's, it's like a little i've got that too i've got that on my you shelves oh, i could have brought that today too yeah it's like a little a little gray thing and you pull you push it through the little spaceship and then you pull it out and he it goes it's sort of like a spinning top
1: yes a really cute toy and i thought you maybe didn't have it so i was going to send it to you if you wanted i saved oh, it oh no 40. i've got I it thank you, my... you i
2: forgot about it thank you so much i forgot <laughs> about that no i love i loved all that stuff
1: it was so yeah it was really fun i mean it's it's a surreal moment you're in your career like to make a movie and then be a a free gift
2: with your fun meal at Burger King. Yes, yes. Do you know the, <laughs> the thing I remember was about that was when they said, it was one of these things where they said, I remember it was Bruce, lovely Bruce Cohen, uh, uh, who was one of the producers. and An he amazing came in, producer. Amazing. I was done like, I mean, went on after that. The ne- I think his next film after the Flintstones was American Beauty. Something like hilarious. Like yeah. That, a natural progression. <laughs> and uh, he uh, came in and he said, I'm so excited to you. It's, it's such great news. And you're going to be, you're going to be, uh, or the great gazoo, you know, uh, is going to be a vitamin uh, in in the in the in the Flintstones jar of vitamins. And I was like, "What? I'm a vitamin?" It was so crazy, like just things like that were happening and being in a yeah, right, being in a happy world. Meal, yeah, that was what we're yeah. that's what we're dealing with. Yeah, really, really, pretty,
1: so um, pretty, pretty natural. amazing. And it, it sort of topped off at the end. They the poster was shot by David LaChapelle, and he came to our you know, mirage in the desert to photograph it. And I thought, oh, this is perfect. Like David LaChapelle built that, his career on that kind of crazy world. And then- Yeah, that
2: gaudy, colorful, over the top sort of thing. exactly,
1: exactly. And then I was like, first of all, I was honored to get, to be photographed by david la chapelle and i thought what yeah. a surreal perfect mix and what was odd alan is that the photo actually was tame for him because his his world that he had created was even far more fantasizing and and colorful and than even yeah. what they had made for the flintstones <laughs> in the in the in the desert <laughs> it was That's like hilarious. a calm photo shoot for david la chapelle
2: This is my friend Joe. Hi. Now, Joe plays rugby for England. Yeah, what's your point? Come on. Well, Joe presents a podcast and it's my firm belief that you should listen to it. Very interesting. And here's why. Because it's not actually a rugby podcast because, well, let's face it, there's billions of them already.
0: No, 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 no. It's about you, the
2: listener, and the jobs you do. If you're a teacher, an astronaut, a tree surgeon or a chef... Then we've got loads of questions for you. The Joe Marler Show. Because everyone is interesting if you ask the right questions. That's a great line. That's a that is a very good line from you, Tom. Thank you, Joe. You wanna find it? Search for the Joe Marler Show in your podcast app. Because everyone is interesting if you ask the right questions. we didn't last long but I I didn't know this part is that you you and I you won't have known this either but you and I both in the mid 80s were both in uh, uh, soap operas you were in one called Search for Tomorrow and I was in one in Scotland called Take the High Road I I never uh,
1: knew that
2: yes I played an evil woodcutter uh, called (laughs) Jim Hunter and uh, in a little tiny a a soap opera set in a little highland village it's hilarious Amazing. uh, What did you play?
1: I played a teenage runaway
2: who uh,
1: ended up finding her very rich parents and then joined the circus before the town was (laughs) taken out by a flood.
2: (laughs) Oh, I love it. I love that. I love things it like that. It
1: all happened.
2: It all yeah. happened. <laughs> I, I did uh, I got my girlfriend pregnant and then invited her up to the forest and then chopped a tree down on top of her and tried to strangle her. her? And oh then she came gosh. she and she came to and told me she wasn't pregnant after all. <laughs> oh those but, were the days. Oh, are they great? I love it. But you know, I actually think look back on those days. And I wonder if it's the same with you that I think, you know, I actually really learned such a lot learned a lot about acting on camera you know that thing you've got to look at scene ends and you've got to look away and the camera zooms in on you and you know things like that you've got to learn a lot of and also the multi-camera thing you've got to learn camera technique but also uh and this is i don't mean to be mean to the writers of take the Howard, but you've got to sort of learn to deliver lots of exposition and maybe lots of not very good Dialogue, correct. You got to cover up. You got to cover up for either loads of plot or not very good lines. Did you find that too? And that's a big. That's a big sort of boon to be able to do that.
1: I did, and the thing that I felt I took away was how to learn a lot of lines fast because we would yeah, do like yeah. fourteen pages or something a day, which most sitcoms or or your show, you know, uh, The Good Wife, we would. 30 Rock, we would do yeah, maybe five pages a day at most. Yeah, that would yeah, be like a yeah, very successful yeah. day. Um, and yeah. so to do like 14 was a crazy Huge. amount, and you'd have to learn 14 pages of that kind of dialogue that is, um, tends to be quite exaggerated, or you have to sort of bridge the gap between whatever reality you're going to bring. So it, I thought it was an excellent training ground. Me, me um, too. Yeah, for for yeah. that. Yeah. And all the camera, the, the camera work and all of that. And fun to have to try to make some of that stuff, you know, believable or pass. It's a really it's yes. a, oh, it's a good challenge.
2: Tell me, I'm I also really intrigued about a couple of your early theater things because you were in um Starlet Express, the roller skating show.
1: I was, Alan. Um, <laughs> what was that like? Well it was my Broadway debut and um so it couldn't have been more exciting. It turned out to be more of yeah. a sporting event than actually like, you know, character development. But right. um I couldn't have been, it was, you know, it was the late 80s. I was still, mm. I was a senior in high school.
2: <gasps> Were you really? Oh, wow, exciting.
1: Yeah, yeah. and I um, I had gone, th- I, I was dying to be in Les Mis, which I don't, you know, every musical theatre girl or performer kind of was when Les Mis right. was going to come to New York. And so I went down this very long road of auditions for Les Mis with To the play Trevor which nun, To play Eponine.
2: Oh, Frank, Frankie Raphael's part, though, on. Yes, my own. yes, Frances. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sweetheart. And
1: so I'd gotten really far down the line. Like, I think it was maybe me and one other girl, and then uh, many, many auditions like five, ten auditions or something. And oh, I was, God. I wanted this part so bad. And, I remember uh trevor calling reaching out to me and saying hey we just got approval from equity they're gonna bring francis ruffell over
2: ah how who was a
1: sensation in london and all of yes. that and um he goes so we you know we don't need an ebony now in, in the united states but would you come and audition for starlight express and i was like because he was directing both at the same time and oh, i was I like see. yeah sure and so i went over and i strapped you know you had to roller skate first that was <laughs> You didn't even get to sing your 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 (laughs) sixteen bars. You had to roller skate first. And I was in in a theater.
2: Was it like a was it like in a in a movie? Did you have to skate onto the stage, or was it in a rehearsal room?
1: No, no. We were in like an empty warehouse um, for the for the roller skating auditions. Yeah, (laughs)
0: Um,
1: and they geared you up. You had to sign a release for your life, and uh, or not to sue them. Yeah, in case anything happened. And I. As a as a teenager growing up in New Jersey, there were a lot of roller rinks, and there was a lot of preteen birthday parties that were roller parties. So, <laughs> right. I really, I really that was the only roller skating experience I had had. So they, they say, okay, sh- sh- go forward. They put some music on, they say, you know, skate forwards. And like 10 of us are in the room. We're all skating forwards. They go skate backwards, which I could do. And so I was like, all right, this is going pretty good. And they go, all right, now do freestyle. And I literally just bopped <laughs> up and down and snapped my fingers. <laughs> thinking that that was freestyle. <laughs> and literally the people around me who were real skaters were like doing cartwheels and oh tricks God. and spins. And I was like, oh, okay, like this is different than I thought. Anyway, I somehow made it through that and got to sing my, you know, my auditions and got the part of Dinah the Dining Car, which oddly was the part Frances Ruffell created also in London. Oh,
2: she'd done it in London, that's right.
1: Yeah, and we ended up becoming very good friends because we were were making our Broadway debuts and Broadway shows together at the same time and we used to go out after and Uh, had so much fun.
2: I mean, you were still at high school it must have been yeah i was
1: i was finishing my senior year um uh, and having the time of my life i mean i I uh, you know i thought i was the shit to be on broadway (laughs) at that age and like it just like it just embraced all of my jerseyness too like i could wear my little short shorts and roller skate and be paid like
2: perfect this is my world yeah you you know i've just remembered that you roller skated in the flintstones too
1: I did. They, they pulled that up. I was right. a roller skating waitress. <laughs> That's
2: right. I forgot about that. Gosh, there's a theme emerging. <laughs> oh, it's hilarious. Have you roller skated in anything else?
1: Did I roller skate in anything else? No, I did a few workshops of Xanadu, the, the Broadway musical Xanadu, which I really wanted to do because... I mean, where else was I going to get to roller skate again yes. um, and use, use that honed skill? Um, and then it didn't work out with my filming schedule that I couldn't ultimately do it. But uh, that was really fun to work on that too, with Cheyenne. Well, that would be good. And, and oh, I love Cheyenne. you such a darling
2: yeah yeah um it's funny another thing i saw that you did is was grand hotel and uh it was funny because on the way over here in australia on the plane i watched the original movie with greta garbo and did uh, you yeah and and of course you played i realized the joan crawford part in the musical of of grand hotel that must have been fun it
1: it was and it was my it was my broadway debut as a human not as a train (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> so I took it
1: very seriously and I was yeah. really um excited to be about it Alan it was like a a very old-fashioned experience to do Grand Hotel and I'm so thankful that I had it because it feels like from a, a it was from another time of Broadway where we we did a workshop we did two workshops we worked on it for over a year before we even went into Official rehearsals. Then we went to Boston, got terrible reviews that are out of town at the famous Colonial Theater. Um, Then reworked it every single day in Boston. We would, I would go. I went on stage every night with a new number. My first number would be redone every night without even orchestrations. It would go from full orchestra to a piano. Oh God! And be like. Trying to Charleston my way through any new number that came uh, my way during the out-of-town tryout. Um, oh. Incredible learning experience. And and how great to be so young and have so little fear to go out there and not know what you're going right. to do that night.
2: Yes, I know. A Isn't great time this, to
1: have that experience.
2: Ballsy you are, you, of youth. The balls of youth. It is amazing to look right, back Right, exactly. And see that. It's
1: exactly it. Yeah,
2: but then but then did it all get worked out and it came to Broadway? It was yes, and then
1: we came to New York and it was a it, it was a great success and it was the, one of the great turnarounds of of out of town to Broadway and was nominated for you know twelve or fourteen Tonys or something and I was nominated for my first Tony Award and it was a beyond a dream come true. Um, wow. I was nineteen at that point. Um, oh my
2: God, Jane. Wow.
1: Yeah. And I got to, you know, I got to work with Michael Jeter and David Carroll, two of my right. favorite people. And Oh,
2: and he's the, Michael Jeter, he was the one who made the beautiful speech when he, he won, yes. did he? Yes.
1: He had massive addiction problems many years ah, earlier, and this right. was sort of a real comeback for him. And it changed his whole career around. He then went on uh, and did many movies after Grand Hotel and uh, had a sitcom on CBS. He became a, a huge star from it um, and, and then ultimately passed away. Um, years later, but that was also a time when it was a, it was a crazy time for me to be a, still a teenager, making my sort of Broadway dreams come true, but the AIDS pandemic had hit at the same time
0: Gosh, um, and yes. was
1: kind of in full cycle And it, it I remember the day the first person in Starlight Express was uh, um, uh, one of our dear friends in the male ensemble was suddenly not there that night and they said oh he's in the hospital he's got pneumonia and I didn't even know what that meant at that time oh, wow. Truly, I didn't wow. and yeah. um, we lost over half the, the male ensemble in that show and then to go to Grand God. Hotel um, with Michael being brilliant and knowing he was HIV positive and then we found out out of town that David Carroll was also HIV positive during that so there was so wow. much emotion and um, the, the the desperation of many of the characters on stage, yeah, were infused by the love oh. we all had for each other and knowing that time actually could run out for the people we were on stage with, right. which was a recurring theme in the show.
2: Talking of old-fashioned uh, sort of musicals, that's that's uh, what we did most recently, uh, which is um, our, our the show Schmgadodoon. And uh, I I loved it. Have you seen it yet?
1: I did get to see it and I love it so much. Isn't it
2: good? I, I, I really, really thought it was special. And it's a, uh, for people who don't know, it's a, it's a show that's, um, Keegan Michael Kay and Cecily Strong play a couple who are having sort of trouble and they go to one of those sort of outward bound fixture relationship weekends and they kind of like have a fight and then they walk over this bridge and it suddenly becomes a a nineteen fifties Hollywood musical, sort of Technicolor, and it's called Schmigadoo, and there's dancing people in, and it sort of parodies and pays homage to various uh, Hollywood musicals and things like that. And what I You've described I it
1: perfectly. That's beautiful. Oh, did I
2: elevate a pitch? Yeah, perfect. But, but but uh, well, I, so we, you know, I saw you, you, you you, came in, you were in one of the episodes and you came in and did your stuff and went away. And we saw each other a couple of times uh, on the way to getting our uh, COVID, you know, thousands <laughs> of COVID tests. It was just endless. Yeah. But uh, but uh, I. so I didn't see any of your bits until I saw it in the actual, when I, when they sent me the episodes to watch. And oh my God, so Jane sort of plays... Her sort of musical trope that she's sort of parodying and playing homage to is the is the as the Baroness, the Countess. Is it the Countess or the Baroness? Uh, it's
1: called the Countess in this, but I think it was yeah. a Baroness in. Oh, so the it's the Baroness
2: in the Sound of Music. So that kind, of, that kind of blonde, icy blonde lady, who's actually you know, sort of Christopher Plummer's girlfriend, kind of you know, sort of cock blocking Julie Andrews, um <laughs> uh, basically, and then and then she turns, you know, she kind of leaves uh jane played a version of that in this show so brilliantly and like you looked so much like her as well that, that when the first time you see you when you arrive in the house jane, i was just, like my jaw was on the floor it was such brilliant oh makeup you're and so hair. kind no it's we true. i
1: definitely wanted to pay homage to the original baroness because we we emulated the hair and the Color scheme of the costumes and stuff. Yeah, it
2: was amazing, and then and then you do this big number with Cecily in a car that you're driving. A car. You actually managed to do a dance routine in a car. It's really it's extraordinary. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you're so kind, and you know I think that project is. So the 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 love and the heart that Cinco Paul, who who created it and wrote yeah, it, has in his great. heart for musicals, and you just yeah. don't lose that in one frame. And every frame, there is the love that he has for yeah. musicals and musical theater performers, and sort of the, the the aw shucksness of it all that you could be having yeah. a conversation and you suddenly break into song. some yeah. of my favorite bits are when they call it they call that out, when they're like, wait, why yes. are you guys singing?
2: <laughs> yes. There's one yes. bit when I sing a song with Cecily and I, and then we and it ends and then we chat for a bit and then the music comes in again and she goes, Oh, a reprise. <laughs> exactly.
1: And, and I go, Yes and, and I start so singing beautiful. again.
2: Oh, You're bless so beautiful
1: you. in it, Alan.
2: Uh, thank you. I love that little man.
1: I I know, and you could tell, and that's how why the audience does too. Because you you take a character that could have been played many many different ways, right? All of these people could have, um, they could yeah. have been heightened to any sort of musical theater genre version that you wanted to make, and you make us actually so care for this guy. You're the heartbeat of the whole the whole oh,
2: show. Bless you. you. Are. I I also think it's going to be. Uh, you know that, do you know, do you ever go into a gay bar on a Monday night and it's musical Mondays? And uh, have you, ever, <laughs> of do you course do that? I and do, Alan, yeah, every of course, Monday. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, I do, like that, that it's, it's, I, whatever you go in the world, there's always musical Mondays, it's always. And like, I, you know, I remember. I sometimes I, I'm on tour or something. I go and we go into a gay bar. And, oh, I go it's Musical Monday, so it's going to be a bit of a nightmare. But I'll just I'll try and sneak in, and and then of course suddenly it's me doing Veil coming on the telly, you know, or, or me doing something yes, else in my yes. And it's I, so now I know that what is going to be my Musical Mondays in every gay, because I have a big number where I I come out and and I go I'm yeah. a homosexual, a big sort of Hollywood musical number saying that i'm a homosexual and uh, i know (laughs) that is going to be played in gay bars every monday across the world
1: what an honor what an honor totally
2: totally and it's nice to have another uh, another you know number for people to play when you enter gay bars
1: i'm always so honored when i am included in any of that stuff in the community i remember when i was in grant hotel i i someone handed me a book called michael's thing do you remember this no, what's that? And it was a, it was like a, it was a gay guide to all the gay clubs to go to, and I was on the cover, uh-huh. and I was oh, like, wow. "Oh, this is the greatest honor of my wow. life!"
2: Wow, that's really hard. <laughs> I
1: couldn't believe it,
2: <laughs> <laughs> Jane. Uh, such an you know, honor. You're so, I love you so much. We always have such fun, and we all, I, you know, you're one of these people that I always think and it's a great thing to think because I always want to see more of you I always think oh I must see more of Jane I'd love to sort of see you more do you that's know, to what me, I that feel
1: like with you yeah.
2: isn't it funny and so we have to go on a podcast to actually chat to each other but let's try and like have a proper date when uh, we're when we when oh, we're back in, in New York and maybe go to the theatre even yeah let's do that but thank you so much tell I've me loved when this. you're back I will and thank you for this walk down memory lane and uh, lots of love to you and I'll see you when I'm back in uh, New York City I always feel so lucky that I get to work with you and know you, Alan. Ah, likewise, Jane love. Kerkowski. Love okay. you. Bye. <laughs> so now it's time to put my clunky Flintstones cuttery back on my shelves. I hope you had a nice time listening to Jane and I reminisce and hope you'll join me again for another walk down memory lane in Alan Cumming shelves. Alan Coming shelves is hosted by me, Alan Cumming, duh, and produced by the lovely Jack Claremont. We are part of the ACAS Creator Network and the Crowd Network, too. We just love networks. Another Crowd Network podcast to check out is. Death of a Film Star. These are the stories of Hollywood icons like Heath Ledger, Carrie Fisher, Robin Williams, and more. They're beautifully written episodes, all around 25 minutes long, and they pay tribute to some of the greatest actors that have ever been. The episode about Chadwick Boseman is brilliant. So check it out. Just search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app.
1: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.